Tim. Tim, how you doing today, buddy? You're listening to the Not Dead Yet podcast. I'm with Tim Ward, my co-host. Tim, how you doing? What's going on, JP? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Did, Summer's uh, dwindling down. Kids are back in school. Dwindling down quickly. Um, did you hear the sad news in rock and roll history today? I didn't, know. Charlie Watts passed away. Really? I know he backed out of the tour, but I didn't know he was like gravely ill. I didn't either. I did see a picture of him last week, and he looked pretty ill. Of course, he's kind of a waifish figure anyway, yeah, and he, at 80 years old, there's not a whole lot there but skin and bones. Yeah, he's looked like that. Uh, but yeah, sad day for those of us who are a huge Rolling Stones fans. I'm going to tell you a little story, Tim. About 25 years ago, uh, I went to Madison, Wisconsin to see the Rolling Stones with Lenny Kravitz. Maybe it wasn't 20, maybe it was 20 years ago. And uh, we stopped on the way up there uh, to a gas station, and the guy's like, where are you guys going? And we said, hey, we're going to see the Rolling Stones in Madison. And he goes, oh, it's the Geritol tour. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. They're still, like, rocking and rolling. But I, I've, I've mentioned we've talked about music many times on this podcast, and my one of my most favorite memories of concerts was – Sing the Stones for the first time, because I've seen them seven times. Um, Sing the Stones for the first time in 1989 at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Uh, What a wonderful, crazy show that was. Um, But yeah, just a sad day for rock and roll. But I I hadn't heard. I've been out running errands, so... Uh, well, one of my on. favorite Charlie Watts stories is he, in the late 70s, early 80s, he got really heavy into drugs. I, ironically, we're talking about the Rolling Stones here. And at one point, Keith Richards told Charlie he had to get his shit together because he was effing up the band. Wow. Of all people, to tell Charlie Watts to straighten up. and That's the same with Guns N' Roses. <laughs> you know, you hear about Guns N' Roses kicking the drummer out of the band or Pink Floyd kicking Sid Barrett out of the band for doing too much drugs. Yeah. Like, okay. Anyway, let's get down to business here, Tim. Yeah, almost in the summer, we had uh, we talked about uh, last week, uh, we got away for the first time in nearly 18 months, and it was a nice trip. Eric, John, and I got uh, to go visit some friends and a new facility in Minnesota, so we thought we'd uh, uh, share a little bit about that today. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to have him on. I know he was jumping out of his seat to get on the podcast today. <laughs> But uh, we're going to bring him in. It's Dave Byron. He's the general manager of Cherney up in, Tim, help me out. Shakopee, Minnesota. Shakopee, right on. (laughs) And uh, he's got a cool story. Uh, You know, he's transformed this company from, they just moved into this, like, he calls it the Taj Mahal. Uh, He's turning around the company up there. He's doing great work. And we're going to get a little bit into his past. He was a Green Beret, and I think that's pretty cool, so... Let's bring him in. Dave, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Dave. Doing good, guys. How are you guys doing? Good. Not too bad. Good. Good. How are things up in uh, Minnesota? They're good. We're getting some rain today for the first time in months, so it's kind of nice. Any uh, things turning green? Any fishing getting done in the last few weeks? <laughs> Unless you want to walk in the streams, because you can pretty much walk next to the water. They're so low. So oh, really? I don't think much fishing is getting going right now. Okay. Okay. How are the horses? They're all still... Uh, <laughs> Still kicking, makes my wife happy. So, <laughs> right on. Happy wife, happy happy life. Yep, that's it. So, like we mentioned, we were up there a couple of weeks ago, and we were like super impressed with the facility and the tour that you gave, and uh, you know the technology involved, the human element involved. Tell us how you got started with Cherney, 
And uh, you know what you're what you're doing today. We just heard that you might be doing some quick train stuff as part of the OD uh, umbrella. So t- tell us a little bit how you got started into the the churny aspect. I uh, was working at a different different location, different place. Uh, opportunity was was out there. I think I think a headhunter hooked me up with the opportunity initially. And a funny thing is, I inter- interviewed for the job and I didn't get it mm-hmm. the first time. I went on to a different opportunity, and that really wasn't working out for me, not the way I wanted to. I reached back out. Actually, they reached back out to me in a year and said, hey, what are you doing? You, you still interested? And I yeah. I kind of was. So came back, uh, flew me to Cleveland. I interviewed with a couple people in Cleveland and been there seven years since uh, since then. It's been a mm-hmm. Been a wild ride for sure from where we started seven years ago to where we are today. Yeah, kind of tell us what that facility was like and now the new facility. It's got to be like night and day, I would think, right? Yeah, I mean, so the original facility, I mean, Churney Industries has been around since like 1953. Or 53 has started in Lloyd Churney's kitchen where he made the first test balls in his oven. I don't know how he stayed married through that, but his wife must have... (laughs) Didn't have a sense of smell or something, but he made plugs in his in his oven. Cupcakes on the bottom shelf and test plugs on the top. Yeah, yeah. so a little bit of Michelin mixed in with your <laughs> cupcake. But uh, once it was all said and done, he, he opened the facility in Udina, Minnesota, in 1970. So he he kind of made them in his in his shop behind his house as he started his business. But in 1970, he opened the facility in Udina, and that's where I went to work. You know, seven years ago. That was the facility that made every single test ball that Cherney had ever made. And we have employees that have been here. They're still here today. They've been here 30 plus years that worked in that old facility. It was a very manual process. Um, everything was molded plugs made by hand, very artisan type work. So, you know, we had great employees over the years and built the brand as being being the, the go-to brand. Mm-hmm. Um North America for sure, and certainly worldwide, it's it's well recognized brand in, in test plugs. Ninety percent of our audience is plumbing and heating guys, and uh, I have a few friends that listen to this podcast that aren't even in the industry, and they learn a lot about uh, the trade. And um, you know, shout out goes to my buddy Matt because I know he's going to be listening, and uh, he's not in the trade. But for people that don't know, what is a test ball? What 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 is the purpose for this? So the purpose for a test ball and plumbing application is to you're testing testing plumbing stacks, water systems. I mean, depends on depends on the municipality of what the test requirements are. So some require you to test with water. So you got to fill the system with water and prove there's no leaks. So that's what a test ball you block up all the areas where the water will come rushing out because mm-hmm. you have to test the stuff before you enclose the walls and stuff. So you use a test ball to do that. Or a mechanical test plug or, or some kind of thing to do that. And that's the plumbing application. Um, also make smaller muni balls. A muni ball is a bypass plug. Mm-hmm. So you can you can block the flow and then hook up a hose to that and, and bypass the flow to somewhere else if you can't stop the flow while you're doing work. And the smallest plug you guys make for the pipe, for you know what size pipe to the largest diameter? So it's three-quarter of an inch. All the way to fifty four ninety six, so yeah. it'll fill up a ninety six inch pipe. Dang, dang, so it's pretty good range. JP, we were inside some of those large diameter pipes last week. They are huge. I know they made me look small, Tim. 
Well, that's pretty cool. Dave looks, well, they almost made Dave look small. So you've been there seven years. What's the latest? You just told us you might be uh, doing some quick drain stuff. What's the latest with that? I'm uh, just going to be taking over the the Denver facility they, where they manufacture quick drain, which is a linear drain system. Actually, they have wall drain and point drain, all, all different kind of drains they make there. Mm-hmm. But it's a shower system, so it has the comes with the PET foam and then the, the shower system, so it kind of eliminates the thin set mm-hmm. piece of it. You can just kind of put all that stuff together. It makes it easy for the tile guys to, to lay it down. So it's a pretty cool product, and uh, we're just growing it, so... I'm going to help with that by helping with their man- getting their manufacturing rolling on the right track. Well, I know John talked earlier and asked you about the different size plugs that you guys make there. And we talked a couple of weeks ago when we were on site about some of those large diameter plugs and, you know, the waterwork systems that they're going into uh, underneath cities. And you talked about what it takes to do that and guys that are doing that. Could you share that story with us about, you know, how they're doing this? Yeah. I mean, like in, in Florida where the, uh, the water table is so high. So every time, every time they do a project, you know, they got all those retaining ponds all over the place in Florida. Well, they, they doing a project digging in a certain area. They got to drain a retaining pond where they're, where they're working you know, and, and stop it from filling from another one or from the ocean or from some other lake. So they actually emplace some of the plugs with divers. They send the plugs down with divers that swim them in, put them in locations, air them up, and then they can drain that pond down without it refilling through the, the fill pipe. So, I mean, it's crazy. When I saw them doing that, I, someone told me they were doing that. I couldn't even believe it till I, I saw it for myself when I was down in Florida. And, uh, did, you say, amazing. did you say something like, I've been a Green Beret and I don't think I'd be doing that stuff? No. I mean, one of the guys was an ex-seal that was doing yeah. it. And he's like, I make a lot more money doing this. Yeah. But I don't have to, you know, it's dark and I have gators swimming around down there with me. So I don't think he, you know, he's getting, they're getting their money's worth out of him, I think. Yeah. My first thought was Dave's thinking, I've done some crazy shit in my life, but this is one of the crazy things that I wouldn't even touch. No, no, I didn't. It wasn't on my list that I was planning <laughs> on doing anytime. Well, the new facility, are you bringing contractors in to give tours and to uh, train or, because uh, I know we. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of one of the reasons that we, we went to the new facility. I mean, mm-hmm. in Udina for 40, almost 50 something years, and we just outgrew the facility. So the new one, you know, we want to be able to, to continue to grow as our business grows, but we also want to provide a, a training experience for our contractors that use our stuff. So we have a training room. We have underground uh, manhole covers that are, I mean, they're for training only within the facility. Mm-hmm. So 300 feet of pipe between two different manhole covers that we can, we can show them how to do an air test. We can show them how to in place our products safely. And, you know, just a, a good experience for, for people using our product to see how they're made and see how much we, you know, how much we care about what we're making here or how, how good, tight our quality controls are and also questions about how to use them the best way now is it open uh right now yep we're open right now i mean we will have contractor visits i mean obviously we got to follow the protocols for the you know covid and all that but but we are open for contractor visits and our sales guys are you know set those up and bring them bring people in we're looking forward to it as we entered the uh facility and walked around and got a grand tour of the Taj Mahal, one of the things that I noticed is there's still a lot of manual labor that goes on 
uh, at the facility. There's, as you said, employees that have been there for 25, 30, 35 years. And, you know, you think of the quality of the product and there's still so much hands-on manual labor. I was really surprised by that. You know, and, and it's half what it used to be. I mean, you guys saw some of our robotics we added in, but but all this plumbing balls, you know, the smaller 12-inch and smaller plumbing balls are pretty much made almost 100% by hand. I mean, you guys got to see that. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, very manual process, t- tried true process. I mean, we've been improving it as we go along, but you still can't get away from the fact you need people that care the product to make it right yeah the craft it's like testing and quality the entire yeah. process from start to finish and then we do the 100 percent testing at the end yeah so we make sure it's gonna everything's gonna work and you did mention that you know you did bring in some robotics and but that hasn't really affected the employment rate at where you are i mean you still no you haven't laid in i mean that's the thing is we our growth has been so I mean, it's been standard kind of for the last seven years. We've grown at a, at a pretty high rate. And each year, you know, we keep talking about, um, you know, what, what do we need for labor next year and next year and next year. I mean, the robotics, the reason for putting that in is we just couldn't, we can't find enough labor. Mm-hmm. You know, any, anyone that I freed up by putting ro- uh, robotics in place, I found, I have something else for them to do. Yeah. So it's not like we're, we're trying to automate so we can eliminate people. We're trying to automate so we can keep up with the demand yep. because because as demand continues to increase, you know, people don't want to do those kind of jobs anymore. Yeah. Not, you know, just it's hard to get people. You're not going to find a guy that's going to stay for 30 years anymore yeah. and work at the same rate and care as much as he did the day he showed up. And those people just aren't made anymore, I don't think. And so the basic question, you know, tour questions, uh, what's the size of the facility? 130,000 square feet. Yeah, with room to grow, right? Yes, sir. Yep, we can uh, grow the facility another twenty thousand on the on the current site. And you're running three uh, shifts. Yep, three shifts, twenty four five, and we work pretty much every Saturday because of demand. Well, touching on those robotics, you had mentioned during the tour that one of the main reasons was one they they're developing the larger products, um, and the other is that. For it, the growing waterworks market and with some of the infrastructure planning that's going on across the country, and certainly if government passes this one tr- $1.5 trillion infrastructure plan, that there's going to be a lot of money there to do some of the work that your products are used for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's been the biggest growth market in our business over the last five years. I mean, you know, you look at Flint, Michigan, and all the, all the things that came to light there when they you know, the green water they had were had and all that stuff when they started to notice how poor our infrastructure has been maintained. I mean, you know, out of sight, out of mind. You turn on your tap, water comes out until it comes out and it's brown or green. Then all of a sudden people are nervous about yeah. it. And I think that's part of the infrastructure bill is to start addressing that stuff. And that's right in our wheelhouse. I mean, because you can't tell somebody on a city block, hey, you can't go to the bathroom for a week. We're going to be working on your water. So exactly. you got to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And that's where our stuff comes into play so they can bypass it, send it somewhere else where they're, where they're doing the work. A lot of exciting. If they pass that, that's going to be exciting for you guys for sure. Yeah, we're, we're trying to ramp up for that. I mean, it, even without passing that, yeah. <clears throat> there's a ton of that stuff going on all around the oh, country. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just a, it's amazing to me. I, I didn't even know this industry existed seven years ago. Mm-hmm. If you told me about test plugs and water, you know, yeah. I had no idea. And now seven years later, I've been on hundreds of job sites, met 
met guys that do this every day and it's just a super growing industry. People want to drink clean water. They want to have a reliable, reliable water systems in their city, in their town. And being a part of that is kind of neat. It's, it's, it's super interesting. I, I got to say, like you said, the owner who was baking these things in his oven, he was a tradesman. He was a, a plumber, right? Or, yep. and he, yeah, he was a plumber and he used a mechanical at that time. They're using mechanical seals, you know, to seal off pipes and they didn't really work that well. And you go, wet all the time on the on the job and he came up with the idea what if you use a what if you use a rubber plug you know made them and his made the molds and did all that stuff and, and it's pretty amazing that the way we make small ball today the, the smaller plugs you know seven eight inch and below mm-hmm. pretty much almost exactly the same way he made them back then in his oven i mean and you, you just employ much larger ovens yep that's <laughs> well it. You, you know you mentioned when we were there that the the family who they don't really, you know, have any part of the company anymore, had visited the new facility and they were just impressed as heck. Yeah. I mean, what what it's become, you know? Yeah. They sold it to, uh, to Odie in 1990, Mm -hmm. the business, but they, they still keep in touch. Like I said, we have uh, Pete Rogers, who's our technical sales specialist in the industry. He's known as uncle Pete. He's been working for Odie 49 years. I mean, 49 years, a couple of weeks ago. So he, he still keeps in touch with members of the Cherney family and they were in town for some kind of family reunion. They wanted to come see the new facility. Almost all of them had worked here. Like when they were in high school, mm-hmm. they'd worked for, so there was like pictures around of like them working with some of the people here. It was pretty cool. And they were, they were really blown away by, by what their dad's company has become. So it's kind of neat to have them come and see it. And they were super appreciative of, of all the history stuff we put in the, in the entryway. So you know, kind of, so we remember where we came from and who started this thing. We logged on to this podcast and we can see each other on video. We don't record the video, but I got to say, Dave got a haircut and I think he shaved his mustache off for this podcast, yeah. just for this podcast. Good for this. Yeah. He got clean shaven. Yeah, it was kind of a bet. My, uh, my daughters thought I should have a handlebar mustache for a while. So I did it. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, done. I'm done. I thought you were like in a motorcycle gang, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. He he lowered the ears. He would uh, pass regulation inspection. Yeah. Uh, I think you you'd be fine. Yeah, I appreciate that. So we're gonna shift a little bit and just talk as as much as you want about your past in the military and uh, being a Green Beret. I don't even know where to start with this, Tim. Maybe you could help out. But um, well, first off, I mean, you went to West Point. Uh, You graduated from. West Point, uh, sometime in the late 80s, mid 80s, I recall. 1992. Uh, 1992. Yeah, okay. I mean, so, him older than he is. Yeah, I was. He's, <laughs> he's actually a couple years younger than I am. Um, what took you to West Point? My dad was a, he was a Green Brain in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So he uh, ended up serving 30 years as a, as a Special Forces soldier, retired as a Sergeant Major. You know, I grew up around that when I was a kid. So a lot of little boys want to be their dads when they grow up. So that was kind of my my thing. Mm-hmm. My kind dad of like, uh, kind of like the family business. Kind of, yeah, family business. But my dad did tell me one thing. He said, "Look, if you're going to be falling around some dummy who's a lieutenant, you might as well be that dummy." Mm-hmm. So maybe you should go to West Point or ROTC and be an officer and not be enlisted like like I was. Mm-hmm. So you know, so I looked into that. 
I mean, pretty much since I was like in fifth grade, I, I wanted to go to West Point. Made that happen and ended up going there and finished that in 92. I went to, into the infantry right off after that. I went to Somalia with 10th Mountain Division. And then uh, I, mean, I went to Ranger School and Officer Basic or whatever. went to 10th Mountain. And then after that, I went to Selection. Passed that. Went Q Chorus and all that. Was Ended up with Green Bray. And I served over in Okinawa, Japan. For those that have never been to West Point, one, it's the most it's one of the most beautiful sites you'll ever be you ever go to. Going taking an Amtrak from New York City down the Hudson as you pass West Point up on the hill. Uh, I've had the privilege of going to West Point a couple times. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous area of the country, and the facility is what a military university should look like. I tell you what, you go back, I went back to one of the reunions and you still get the same sick feeling in your stomach when you go through the gate. You used to get every time you went back after a weekend off or something, you were just like, oof, tough place. But uh, yeah. some of my best friends are, in my life are from there. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned learned a lot of stuff there. And uh, great school on top of being military academy, great school. So don't regret that decision at all. And talk about leadership skills, you, a lifetime of leadership skills right there. That's it. People always ask you, you know, what'd you learn in the military? Like, you know, I learned how to do some stuff that you're not really ever going to do again when you leave the military, hopefully. But, uh, you know, the lead- leadership, the, you know, attitude, you know, make it happen attitude. I mean, I had a boss back when I started in the military. And he got, you know, come to his office. I'm a young lieutenant, you know, report to the, the colonel, you know, Lieutenant Byron reporting. He goes, Byron. What's your job here, sir? Uh, you know, read off the school, you know, lead the mission, take care of the men. Not that he writes on a chalkboard, which tells you how old I am. MSH. <laughs> what's that stand for, Byron? No idea, sir. Make shit happen. That's your job. I can't tell you what you're going to face every day. Have no idea. But we're paying you to make some shit happen. You, you can accomplish the mission. Take care of your men, whatever you got to do. And that kind of resonates with me the rest of my life because that's kind of People ask, what do you do? I just make stuff happen. Whatever is wrong, I make it right. Whatever is right, I make it better. My team here is so good that I don't really have a lot to do, honestly, but Mm -hmm. keep them staring in the right direction. But, you know, it served me well because there's no way to cookie cutter that in. You know, you don't know what you're going to face. If someone would have told me I was going to move this plant during a pandemic, I'd have laughed at you. Mm -hmm. thought we were watching the zombie movie or something. Yeah. But that happened last year and we, you know, still made it happen, so. John, this I wish people could see because Dave's got a great sign that we saw <laughs> while we were there and that we were on a call not too long ago doing a team's call and he held up the sign. So, John, do you remember that sign? Well, the, one, if I, the one I think you're referring to is it was early when Dave was hired at Cherney. They they had some, what was it, like some outdoor activity? or They, went, they had a fundraiser. Yeah. Odie does a lot of fundraising events, that, mm-hmm. you know, for cancer, you know, your way kind of thing. I mean, very philanthropic organization. So doing some fundraiser and the deal was they, they donated money. They had like a jar for each person on the senior leadership team. And the person that had the most money donated toward them, someone would have to take a pie and stick it in their face. So that was the plan. Now, I work in Minneapolis, so I, I wasn't part of any of those plans. Mm-hmm. Like I was just in town for a, a operations meeting. So all the operation leaders were in town. So I had no idea this was going on. 
And like, we had this big meeting and we're all sitting in the room and they're talking about, oh yeah, you know, funny, the CEO lost. Of course, everyone was shoving stuff in his, in his uh, jar, trying to get someone to throw a pie in his face. And then they were wondering who was going to do that. And I'm sitting in the back laughing, like, I wonder what dummy's going to get to do that. And uh, then they start calling my name and I end up going up there. So I guess I was the dummy. I, and they all knew, oh, we're going to have Byron do it. But, you know, I didn't have any idea this was even going to happen. So I had to go up in front of the whole company, all the salary people with the CEO and take a pie and shove it in his face. I'm thinking, boy, <laughs> this is a quick way to stop my career before it even gets started here. Yeah. So you had, so, a, you had to have him sign a, the, the Yeah, get out of jail free card just in yep, case. He, yep. you know, It's worked out. I'm still here. So, Dave, what are some of your hobbies? I know. You're not in Shakopee, Minnesota. You live about, as I recall, 45 minutes to an hour from there. What are some of your hobbies? My wife is a cowgirl from South Dakota. So I, uh, my hobby is building fences and shoveling poop mm-hmm. and uh, keeping, keeping the horses. We have, I think we have 16 or 18 horses out there wow. now. I always kind of lose tracks, two or 300, ac- 300 acres out there. So, you know, just kind of like a hobby farm type of thing. But we got a lot of, a lot of horses there. We raise some, we sell them, buy them. You know, they compete in the rodeos, my wife and my daughters. I'm sure you've traveled around the world. What, what would you say is one of your favorite places that you've ever been? Yeah, I'd say Australia is a good place. I enjoyed that. I've been all over the Far East, so there's you know a lot of beautiful places there. Singapore is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Hong, Kong's, Hong Kong used to be beautiful. I don't know what it's like anymore. Mm-hmm. A lot of great places in the, in the world to see. Yeah. Sadly, I got to go to a lot of crummy ones too, but yeah, you know, yeah. some good ones. Favorite MRE meal? Oh, it's got to be got to be spaghetti. I was always you can't can't really mess up spaghetti, I guess, right? Yeah, I was I was always a big chicken cacciatore or whatever the chicken vegetable. Uh, they they, they change it so often. It's like yeah, you know, you got to eat. So whatever it is, you whatever eat it. it is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Depends how long you've been out in the field, how good they taste. They taste really good on day like 50. Is that like the freeze-dried stuff or do you add water? Oh, no. It's MRE meal ready to eat. Okay. So they don't. Yeah. So you just open up the packet and eat it. You know, I was in 20 years ago, so I don't even know what they eat anymore. Yeah. Who knows? Now it's probably gourmet. A lot of calories in there. That's all it was. You know, 5,000 calories of a, a, a bag. So you, you'd be burning a lot out there in the field. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so what's. Uh, What's next for you guys at Cherney or any, any new projects? Or I know you said you were looking to test that, what was it, the 96 diameter? Uh, yeah, plug. 120 diameter plug. I mean, oh, we, yeah. got, we, got, we got a lot of new new products coming. I mean, we consistently evaluating the market and trying to figure out, you know, what we don't have, what we have that doesn't work exactly like, like contractors want and try to keep improving our product line. You know, the, mar- the market right now is crazy up and down like we've been you know and like you said the infrastructure package if that passes who knows how crazy the sales will get so you know we're in the right place now so we can grow here um we, we were space constrained in the other place so so we'll have to see uh what we have to do to keep up with the market but that you know servicing the customer is the key thing you know and that's kind of how we got to where we are right now listening to what they need and, and coming up with what it is and delivering on time that's where we're going to focus on once again, we were impressed when we were there a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, we were there to shoot a bunch of videos. So for those of listening on podcasts, you'll be seeing some videos here in the coming weeks from some of our travels to the new facility there in Shakopee. And impressed with everyone we met there, 
And uh, we were greeted by, it seemed like the entire staff, everybody that was in the building that day we met, looking forward to many greater things. With some of the activity with Quick, quick Drain up the road, um, looking for a chance to get to Denver. Yeah. Yeah, anytime, guys. Tim, you know, we've been on hundreds of tours in the past, what, 15 mm-hmm. years since we've been in the industry. And I, I really thought this was interesting. Maybe it was just because it was a different product and a different thing. I've never seen the process before, but it's super interesting. Uh, you guys did a great job with with the tour. Um, Dave, you should be really proud of the work that you're doing. You said you've been there seven years and you can you can see the transformation. The new building is mm-hmm. beautiful. And uh, I, I've said this in the past off the air, but it's, you know, makes my job fun. And I love what I do because I meet people like you and uh, keep up the great work. Tell your dad, thank you. And thank you. And thank Tim for your service. You know, I, I do appreciate, I think our listeners do. So I appreciate it. Yeah, we really, we really appreciate you jumping on and, and educating our listeners. And like Tim said, we'll have the video up coming I don't know, next few weeks, I think, right, Tim? Yep, next few weeks. So there's there's several of them. So we'll be teasing them over the next week or two and then start rolling them out mid probably mid to late September. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining the show. And we'll uh, thanks guys. Have a great day. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. The Not Dead Yet Podcast powered by Mechanical Up Media and produced by John Masonbrink and Tim Ward. It is edited by John Masonbrink. Music presented by Jason Drum and graphics furnished by Wayne Rowe. Thanks for listening and until next week. <laughs>